Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8-Side Network. Brianna Scurry joins us on Sports Byline. She was the starting goalkeeper for the United States women's national soccer team in the World Cup and the Olympics. She has won two Olympic gold medals and a World Cup title, and her career total of 173 international appearances is the most among female soccer goalkeepers. And she was a founding member of the WUSA. That's the women's, the first women's professional soccer league, playing three seasons with the Atlanta Beat, where they won two WUSA championships. You know, I know you grew up in Minnesota. How does a gal up in Minnesota get interested in a sport like soccer, Brianna? (laughs) I tell you what, um, when I was young, uh, 12, 13 years old, um, you know, going to school, elementary school in Dayton, Minnesota, um, the flyers just came around and said different sporting events on them to sign up, come play, and it'll be fun. And soccer was one of those. I also played uh, floor hockey, and I played tackle football in fourth and fifth grade as well. So soccer was just one of many different sports that were available to me uh, at the t- that time, and I took a chance on it, and it's worked out so far, was, I would say. Was basketball your first and deepest love, though? Absolutely, it was. It definitely was. Uh, basketball, I um, absolutely adored that sport. I mean, it was fast-paced. It was exciting. There was never a dull moment, and I always felt involved. Um, and I just loved playing the game of basketball. And so, yeah, absolutely. If I could have got you know, a few more opportunities in college for basketball, I might have taken one of those instead. You never know. Why did you migrate to uh, goalkeeping? What was it about that position? Well, um, when I was 12 years old, um, living in a rural area, uh, they didn't have a girls' soccer team. And so the team that I ended up joining, actually, that first year was a boys' team um, from the uh, Dayton area where I lived in the Champlain area, which was the next town over. And so I was the only girl on the team, and they thought it was the safe thing to put the girl in the goal. Although now we know that's the most dangerous position there is on the field. But uh, they thought they were doing me a favor to keep me safe, and they put me in the goal. And then the next few years, I played mostly in the field um, until I was about 16 or 17. And then I made goalkeeping my permanent 
home, and uh, I'm glad I did. I would assume that you are pretty team-oriented. Now, I say that, Brianna, because you are the youngest of nine children with three brothers (laughs) and five sisters. Tell me a little bit of what it was like growing up in a family that large. Uh, I tell you what, it was fantastic. My mom and dad were incredibly supportive, and uh, ironically, I was... um, I'm the last of nine, like you said, but I was born nine years after my next closest sibling. <laughs> so it was only myself and my sister in the household when I was growing up because all the other kids were, you know, growing up and moved out and um, having their own lives and everything. So it was actually kind of interesting. It was just the two of us. And then uh, when I was 12, 13 years old, my sister moved out. So I was virtually an only child for, you know, the last few years of my formative years uh, at home, but, uh, you know, I my parents have always been incredibly supportive, and uh, I think, uh, you know, the best for last, so I can't complain. How many cars did your parents go through uh, taking kids around to different sporting events? I tell you what, I, I honestly think that my parents probably went to more sporting events just for me than all my other <laughs> siblings combined, because I was an active kid. Like you said, I played basketball, I played uh Floor hockey, soccer, softball, I ran track. I mean, I was busy year-round doing different sports, and my parents were incredibly supportive and there with me every step of the way. One of the things I've observed over the years in talking to athletes in various sports and various positions in their sports is that they seem to all have a particular personality that's suited to their positions. Now, what I mean by that, Brianna, wide receivers all seem to be the same personality-wise. Pitchers, catchers, everything. But in soccer, let me ask you about the goalkeeper. Is there anything, generally speaking, that is the same about all goalkeepers, either the way they approach the game, they think about the game, they react physically and mentally? Well, we all would like to think we're a little bit more intelligent (laughs) because we're playing goalkeeper. We're not running as much as everybody else. But uh, um, all my teammates have told me that uh, they all find goalkeepers are a little nutty. (laughs) So I guess we have that in common. We all have a little bit of confusion going on in our in our heads because why in the world would we want to stand in front of people, you know, shooting a ball at 50 miles an hour or try to block, you know, a goal when everybody else is trying to, you know, get it through you. And so you got to be a little off-center, they say, uh, to be a goalkeeper, but I think we like to, to think of us ourselves as intelligent people that uh, are uh, playing the sport we love and not having to run as much. Let me make an observation here, and I played the sport. Matter of fact, I played it for a little while in the uh, in the old first professional men's league, and I would have to say that all goalkeepers are good communicators. Am I correct in that observation? That's absolutely right. You are absolutely right. We are all communicators, and uh, in all in all seriousness, we are all a lot uh, quite quite courageous as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, being a communicator is paramount. I mean, you can only get so far on your um, individual athletic ability but as a goalkeeper over the years I learned that the better I communicate the better the outcome for my team and so for me over the years and towards the end of my career the perfect game was a game I didn't actually have to make any saves in because I was able to direct and communicate with my defense so effectively that they stopped every opportunity that the team had. So you're absolutely right about that. Communication um, is, is a key point. Where, where does anticipation fall into that? And what I mean by that is is that with baseball players, they'll tell you, well, I'm going to be looking for a fastball. What about the goalkeeper? Can they read what's happening in front of them to the point that they can almost anticipate what the play is going to be and what they're going to have to do defensively as it sets up? 
I, I definitely believe that. Um, I recall when I played, um, as soon as the ball was turned over and the opposing team was running at me, like I could, I could see how all the um, opposing attackers were running and just how, how their voices sounded. And if their voice went up and loud, they were probably going to get the ball. Or if they were running you know, away from me, I needed to make sure that my defender was close to them. I knew which ones the defenders needed to cover tight and the ones they didn't need to. But, uh, yeah, you can totally anticipate. But it takes time. It's a skill. And, and what, happens, what happened for me was, like, the hairs on the back of my neck would stand up. And that was almost like a signal that, you know, something was coming. And, uh, like I said, it became a, uh, like, a, like a chess player. I became a chess player just trying to put my pieces in the right position to uh, thwart any attacks. But that's absolutely the anticipation going on right there. How did you end up at the University of Massachusetts? Um, actually, my coach, Jim Rudy, at UMass, he was recruiting my club team coach's daughter um, to go to the University of Central Florida where he was coaching there. And she actually ended up, her name was Denise Swinson, she ended up going to UConn, and, and Jim Rudy ended up going to UMass. And uh, he and my club team coach were good friends, and my club team coach told him about me. Because, uh, you know, said that, hey, if you need a goalkeeper, this girl's really good. Not a, not a ton of people really know how, how good she could be. And, uh, you know, she would do well with you because Jim was also a great goalkeeper coach himself as well, not just an outfield player coach. Um, he coached the keeper as well, and so it was a good fit for me. What do you think about the development of soccer when you were in college to where we are today? I mean, I think of uh, the North Carolinas. Uh, I think of other schools that are, are powers when it comes to women's uh, s- soccer. How has it developed over the years? Well, I tell you what, Billie Jean King had a lot to do with the development. I mean, now nowadays the opportunity for all girls in high school to play at a Quality college are huge. Like there's so many colleges right now that have women's soccer um, at their university, and because of that, there are so many great players being more spread out. That's why you're having so many different teams winning national championships now, as opposed to just one team winning so many. And so it's been a real, you know, great growth in the sport. Um, and I, I think. The opportunity is there. I mean, now you have teams in the Pacific part of the uh, country that are battling, you know, the Carolinas and the Notre Dames and the Dukes and uh, the Connecticut's of the, of the country now and are just as good, and, you know, the California teams as well. And so it's really a, a uh, you know, a toss-up as to who's going to win a national championship from year to year, whereas before, when I played, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, everybody pretty much guessed that Carolina would win, and they were usually right. We have about 45 seconds before we have to break, but your four-year collegiate career, 37 shutouts and 65 starts with a career record of 48-13-4 and and less than a goal against average. When you think back on that, does that impress you? That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. That's pretty consistent. Um, uh, that's much better than I actually recall. I, I remember thinking, boy, a lot of balls go, go past me every day. But uh, I guess I held out a few more than I originally thought. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'll take that. In about 20 seconds, any particular moment in your college career that stands out to you? 
Oh, the um, after we lost miserably, unfortunately, to North Carolina in the final four, the semifinal four to one, um, we had media training, um, a meeting for media after the game, and I saw Mia Hamm and Anson, and uh, I went up to Mia and shook her hand and gave her a hug and said, great game, and she said, you too, Keith. I said, tell him that, and she said, he knows, <laughs> meaning Anson knew already, and a week from that day, I got the call, and I was on the national team for 15 years. That is amazing. What a great memory it is. Hold on, Brianna. Brianna Scurry is with us, and she was the starting goalkeeper for the United States women's national soccer team in the World Cup and also the Olympics. We continue across the country and around the world on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Brianna Scurry has joined us on Sports Byline. She went to the University of Massachusetts and, as I said, had that 48-13-4 record. And then she became the goalkeeper for the United States women's national soccer team. Uh, I often ask football players about the step up from college football to uh, NFL football, and they all all talk to me about the speed of the game. I would assume that was the same for you as you stepped up to uh, international and national play. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at the college level back then, um, you know, in the mid-90s, there were a handful of really good colleges that you play on your schedule, and then there were quite a few that weren't that good. And so they weren't as competitive as games um, could be. But once you made that step up to the national team level and in the national team camp as a new person, the majority of new people that come in, you know, they either sink or swim, and most of them sink. Um, and so you're coming into national team camp, you know, as a rookie, just trying to keep your head above water. And for me, I, I, I think it was like the week I gave up a thousand goals. You know, I didn't really think I was doing that well, but thank goodness the coaches saw something in me that I didn't necessarily see. And they kept inviting me back. And, uh, I finally got the hang of it after a few months. Tell me about March 16th, 1994. March 16, 1994, that sounds like that might have been my very first game in yep. Portugal. Yep. Um, yeah, um, that is a very interesting day because I remember being really nervous about that game, and, and uh, right before the game, the defense gets together before the kickoff, and Carla Overbeck, who was my captain uh, at that time, she uh, grabbed my hand and like took my, my face into her hands and looked at me and said, you deserve to be here. And that's all I needed to hear. I mean, I don't know if you know Carla that well, but if she says anything to you, it, it can keep you going for a long time. And uh, when, when the captain says you belong here, you, you definitely believe it. And so that was a very special day for me. And that was your first shutout, wasn't it? You recorded it the same day? I sure did, yeah. Good start. 
<laughs> what was it about uh, that women's national team during the period of time, the 15 years you were with them as players came and went, but the core of the U.S. women's national teams was very, very solid. Tell me what was the glue that held them together. I, I tell you what, it was a magical team. And, uh, you know, we, we were like sisters, and we really honestly got along well. I mean, we all liked each other. We all knew that there was something great going on that we were able to play soccer for a living, and um, we all felt very grateful for that, and we wanted to win. And that was the bottom line, like we want to win no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the team is we're playing. And we were ferocious in our, in our drive to win. And, um, you know, we did manage to do that most of the time. I mean, in 1995 in the World Cup, we lost, um, you know, in the semifinal. But to date, you know, the U.S. team has never done worse than third in any major world event. And that's unheard of. I don't think any other team can say that, men or women. Um, and you know, it's just a mentality. It's a, it's a, it's a theme that's been woven through the team for so many years, starting with Michelle Akers, um, who above all was just a fierce competitor and, uh, you know, it's a team, so you got to do it all together and pull for each other. Have you found Brianna in your international play that the teams, whether it be China or whether it be Sweden, that they reflect the personality of the the people that are part of that country and their country themselves? Because I've always found it that way. I think that the United States uh, is a little bit more flamboyant and flashy and everything, and they play soccer. I think that way. Did you, did you find it to be so? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we tried to be as creative as we could, but then like we play against a team like Brazil, who has a very, very deep and, and storied tradition in soccer, and they would like dance circles around us, you know, with, with the moves that they could pull off, and it was dazzling, the beautiful game they played. Um, but we were USA, we were America, we were grit, we were blue collar, and we were fight to the very end. And uh, if you go back and look at some of the games we beat Brazil, in the finals, we were not the better team on the day a lot of the time, but we just had the bigger part um, on that day. What about the Chinese? Oh, the Chinese, they, they are, are, were at the time are now similar to the current Japanese team who does a lot of short, small passes, very much a unit. Um, they don't really worry about, you know, individuality, but they want to work together well as a team, and they're forced to be reckoned with, and I think the Chinese people are very much like that as well. And uh, same with the Japanese. They're, they're very similar in ways um, to, like, say, the 99 Chinese team and the 2011 Japanese team are very similar teams, even though they're, you know, 15 years apart. I don't know. I don't know whether you found it to be, but I was covering the '96 Olympics in Atlanta, and of course, we know there was the bomb explosion and everything. And I had covered other Olympic games, and I found them to be kind of a international festival. While I found Atlanta to be kind of a southern uh, party. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> How did I wouldn't you know anything about that? <laughs> That's I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You played every minute of the team's five matches. You conceded only yeah. three goals, and you won your second gold medal. What do you remember out of those Olympic games, aside from the explosions? I, I tell you what that that Olympics and and the World Cup in '99 were truly amazing because we were playing on U.S. soil for U.S. fans, and that was 
I believe that Olympic was the first time that many people, you know, showed up in the USA, if not the world, to watch a women's uh, game. Um, we had 76,000 that night um, at Bulldog Stadium, and, I mean, the people, the energy, the perfect night, it was energetic, and the fans were excited, and, of course, it's the Olympics, which is a big deal, and, you know, there's medals to be won, and you're playing your heart out because, you know, you're about to, one team is about to achieve a dream that they've had since they were little girls, and that was the first time women's soccer was in the Olympic Games. And so you only win the first one once. Um, and we were lucky enough to do that. And the one thing I remember most about that game is after the game we won, we were going around in circles, um, you know, waving to the crowd. And I swear I saw like 10 people I knew. And there's no way I could have seen 10 people in 76,000. But sure enough, I saw people that I knew from high school, people that I knew from college, people that I played club ball with in the crowd. I mean, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing night, and uh, including my parents were there as well. So it was fantastic. There's only a, a couple events in sports over my career that I think uh, you, uh, you always know where you were, and I certainly in uh, when you guys won the World Cup, uh, that whole game was. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but from a player standpoint, down on the field, the dramatic way that it ended, uh, and and everything, and you talked about uh, winning in the United States. What is it that? that you were left with in that victory? Well, it's, it's amazing. I, I, what I remember most so often about that tournament is the first game when we played at Giant Stadium, we were trying to get to the field, and we were like, what are all these people? We're in traffic jam. We're never going to get there in time. And then we rolled up, and we realized this crowd was for us. So we were like, holy cow, this is awesome. And that was like one of the one memories that I remember most often. And then I also remember just being in that tunnel in that final uh, against China at the Rose Bowl and just feeling the energy of 90,000 people in, in the Rose Bowl. And none of us, I mean, I didn't, surely didn't imagine I would ever be playing in front of a crowd like that. And it was, they were just willing us to win. And, uh, I mean, I tell you what, it was hot. It was like 107 on the field. Two heavyweight, you know, teams just slugging it out down there. And, I mean, Michelle Akers had the most amazing game you'd ever seen. And then I go ahead and I knock her out right before the end of the, end of the game, before the overtime on a cross. And, and then China got their incredible opportunities. And then Kristen Lilly heading it off the, off the line. I mean, that game had every bit of drama in it that, you know, would best any Hollywood script. And then, of course, it went to PKs, and, you know, I, I said, you know, I said to my team, I said, you know, I will get one. I just need to get one, and I knew they were going to make all their kicks, and I knew I was going to save one, and sure enough, I did, thankfully. Unforgettable moment. Uh, let me take and, you on. You went on to play professional soccer, of course, and uh, in 2010, you were playing uh, for Washington in the Women's Professional Soccer League. And you were playing a game in Philadelphia. It was April 25th, 2010. Uh, Pick up the story from there. Yes, we were playing a road game uh, early in that 2010 season uh, against Philly. And I was starting that game. Uh, It was a fairly, you know, even game, evenly matched. And the right midfielder for Philly, I actually believe it was Lori Lindsay, who now plays for the U.S. team. She hit a low shot in that goal, and it wasn't all that 
you know, eventful. And so I come out low to scoop it up, thinking it's, you know, routine. And then it felt like a like somebody hit me in the side of my head with a bat. And it turns out it was their forward who's crashing in on the opposite side to try to nip the ball and get it past me with her toe. But she ended up clocking me in the side of my head with her knee. And we both bundled to the ground. And I still remember, like, having the ball in my hands, but I don't remember the hit to the, the ball. I just know I had the ball in my hands. And the referee didn't even call a penalty. Um, he said, you know, play on Keith. And so I kicked the ball out. And as soon as I did that, everything changed. My life changed forever. Like, I couldn't get my focus. I started to get a headache. The jerseys on the names on the backs of the, my teammates' jerseys started to get fuzzy. Um, I started to, like, kind of tip over to my left and feel just not like myself, like, in a daze. Um, and I tell you, my life has not been the same, and that was over four years ago now. And so it turns up that I played the last seven minutes of that half, came out of the halftime, and I was walking towards my trainer, and I was veering to my left, and she comes out. She's like, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. And she helped me back to the locker room, um, gave me three words to remember. Could not remember them. Um, honestly, only knew where I was because I was in my uniform still. Um, knew I was in Philadelphia because there's banners. Like, it wasn't like I knew in my mind where I was. But I just, you know, I could read it um, and have not played since. Yeah, you said, I felt like I was going through quick, Stan. I became severely yep. depressed because I started to think this was going to be my life, and every day I woke up hoping I would get my life back. Uh, you've had a procedure, a surgical procedure. Where are you in the process now, Brianna? Um, yes, I had the um, occipital, bilateral occipital nerve procedure done, and that was in uh, late October. And what that is, essentially, I had two two-inch two incisions on the back of my neck where the surgeon scrapes out the damaged nerve. And the doctor actually said um, that I had the nerves of a 65-year-old man. That's how bad it, how badly injured it was. Because when the, when the girl hit me on the right side of my head, it made my head go to the left, and it damaged the nerves, especially on my left-hand side. Um, so he scraped those out. That was end of October. Um, I'm doing incredibly well. I was a perfect candidate for that procedure. So in my case, that worked out well to help one of the three things that I do have, which was the nerve issue. And I also have balance issues. Like I said, I keep bumping into things and knocking over things and veering. And I'm now going through therapy for the balance. So that's coming well. But I still have uh, the memory loss, the sleep issues, the lack of concentration. Um, but that's coming along much better now. And I'm, I'm definitely on the right road. But uh, that quote that you read that I said that was the, the, the two or three years before I found the right doctor who knew what was wrong with me. And I honestly did think that my life was not going to be any different, and it was really depressing. Um, and that's the side of concussions, the depressing emotional side that a lot of people don't talk about, but that's the side that, you know, makes football players do insane stuff if they have problems. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about. You know, people get squirmy talking about it, but that's what I've been kind of doing. Uh, I've been taking on that challenge to talk about it with people and uh, try to help, help uh, especially youth players, um, you know, talk about it, things that are wrong with them and how they're feeling if they get a concussion. 
Well, I agree with you, and it's something that we have to keep talking about because especially with developing young kids when they're playing sports, uh, parents and everybody needs to know what the dangers are and how to deal with it as quickly as possible. Brianna, I want to thank you very much. I've been looking forward to, to talking with you because of what you did not only on the soccer field but the way you represented yourself uh, for a lot of people, but particularly little girls across the country who looked up to you and the other women of the U.S. national soccer team. Thank you very much, and let's stay in touch. Thank you. It was an honor to be on. I appreciate that. And Brianna Scurry with us. Again, she was the starting goalkeeper for the United States women's national soccer team in the World Cup and also the Olympics. She won two Olympic gold medals, the second one coming down in Atlanta in those games. And also in 1991, she led the United States to the World Cup title. We continue with more of you in Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.